you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. That is where we will be in our Bible study time today. Uh, you can reach inside your bulletin and pull out your notes so you can follow along. Or if you follow along on your app, everything you see on the screen will be on your handheld device. For those of you who are streaming live with us, thank you for being with us from wherever you are. We're in the second week of a series that we're calling The Prince. And it's our goal this month at Journey to help you find or at least help lead you to the ability to find peace this Christmas season. Last week we met Jesus who was introduced to us by the prophet Isaiah 600 years ago as the Prince of Peace. And then Jesus who was introduced by the angels to a group of shepherds as one who on the night when he was born brought peace to earth. We met Jesus as one who brings peace. We learned last week that having Jesus in your life doesn't erase all your problems. But if you will add Jesus to any problem, the problem might not disappear, but peace can appear. We studied Isaiah 43, where Isaiah said, if you pass through the waters, you might have life uh, moments where you feel like everything's going to fall on top of you. But Jesus said, I'll be with you. It won't. When you cross over the rivers, you might have life issues where there's a major boundary between where you are and where you need to go. Jesus said, I'll be with you and I'll help you cross over that. Jesus says, when you stand in the fire, not I'll put out the fire, but I'll stand with you so that it won't burn you. When you add Jesus to any problems, the problems don't go away, but you can have peace in the midst of those problems. And here's the big idea that we learned last week. Jesus brings peace into a world that really doesn't have a lot of peace. Jesus brings peace into communities that might have people so kind of filled with their own agenda that they don't have time for anybody else. Jesus brings peace to any family that he steps into. And here's really kind of the big idea of today's message. For those of us who follow Jesus, for those of us who have Jesus, for those of us who would consider ourselves Christian, if G- Christians, if Jesus is in us, then any world we step into should experience peace. If Jesus is in us, then any community that we live in should have a little more peace. If Jesus lives in us, then any family we are a part of should experience a little more peace because if that's who Jesus is and he's in us, then that's who we should become. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today looking at just one verse of scripture from a section of scripture in the Bible known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus launched his public ministry with three chapters of scripture in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 called the Sermon on the Mount. He started it with nine blessings that would be given to people who lived a radical spiritual life that we call the Beatitudes. He say, you'll be blessed if you live this way. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Jesus who brought peace on earth, told us that we should also be carriers of this peace. We're going to look at one verse today, and then we're going to learn today how we can become peacemakers. Would you pray with me before we read God's word for God's people? Would you just quiet your heart and would you just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you ask God to speak to you today? Would you tell him that you're listening and would you ask him to show you how to become a peacemaker? God, we thank you for Jesus, the Prince of Peace, prophesied to a lost world 600 years before he came, and then on the night he was born, proclaimed again as one who would bring peace on earth. As we study, Lord, his admonition for us to bring peace on earth as well, show us what we need to see, tell us what we need to hear so that we might be peacemakers. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Matthew 5, 9 says this, just one verse of scripture today. Jesus said in the seventh beatitude of the nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Read it one more time. If you have your Bible, you might underline it in your Bible. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. If today's big idea is this, those of us who carry Jesus should bring peace the same way that Jesus brings peace, today's big question would be this. Are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Are you a peacemaker? What would you say to that question? What would your spouse say to that question? What would your family say to that question? What would your coworkers say to that question? What would your social media friends say to that question? Are you a peacemaker? A few weeks ago, our family traveled for Thanksgiving to go see one of our families. And when Danielle and I, when we go see our families, even if we're there for an hour, we have to take a family picture to mark that moment in time. So we got off the plane and we all had our outfits that we were supposed to have to take the family picture. And we got off the plane and my 17-year-old son, Christian, said, Dad, I forgot my pants for my outfit. So we had to stop by a store to get him a pair of pants for the outfit so he wouldn't stand out in the picture. And as we're walking into the store, he says, Dad, I didn't pack any underwear. Um, And it was Tuesday. (laughs) And we would fly home on Friday. So I just did the math like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I was like, you, like you, but you have a pair on now, right? Like you, you, you just wear that pair till we fly home. And Daniel's like, no, buy him some underwear. So we got a pair of jeans. We got a, some underwear. And we walked up to the register and we handed the stuff to the lady at the register. And she looked at Christian and I and she laughed. And she said, wow, you guys aren't related, are you? And he kind of rolled his eyes because he never wants to think he looks like a 40-year-old man. Um, and I kind of smirked because he's got this great, like, full head of hair that I don't have anymore. Um, we're like, yeah, obviously we're related. I know a lot of people who look a whole lot more like their sons or their daughters than my family does. But there's a resemblance. A lot of times you can tell when people are related. Here's my question for you. For people who would recognize Jesus and the peace that he brings, when they see you, do they think, Wow, you guys, you guys have to be related. The resemblance, the resemblance between the, the peace that Jesus brings to the world and the resemblance that his children bring. Wow, you guys look a lot like Jesus. You all have to be related. Is there a resemblance in your life between the peace that you bring to your world, your community, your family, And the peace that Jesus brings to his world, his community, and his family. Because Jesus says you'll be blessed if you look like his kids. If you resemble him in this area of peace. We're going to learn today that the responsibility of every Christian is to be a peacemaker. It's the responsibility of every Christian to learn how to bring peace to people, families, communities, and our world. And we're going to learn today that the role of making peace is much easier than you think. It's actually very simple. It's so simple, it's almost hard to teach just like Jesus said it because it doesn't sound profound. And oftentimes, as a speaker, you want to say something profound. But I told our pastors in the back as we were praying this morning, I said, today's message is so simple that it, you know, it almost seems elementary. However, I really believe this. And it sounds like an overstatement, but I don't think it is. If every Christian in our church would do the things that Jesus told us to do to become peacemakers, like I really think our entire community would look different. As a matter of fact, if every Christian did these three super simple things that I'm going to teach today, I think it would change the world. Say, Christian, that's a huge overstatement. I agree, but if we would apply this, you tell me whether or not you think our world would look different. How do we become a peacemaker? Jesus has some good advice for us in Matthew chapter 5. Step 1, for you to learn to find peace at this Christmas. How do we become a peacemaker? Step 1, you've got to learn to say you're sorry. 
you have to learn to say you're sorry. And let me say this to you. Some of you at this moment in your life are living in a relationship that has no peace in it. You're working at a job where there's not a lot of peace. You're playing on a team where there's not a lot of peace. And here's why that is. You messed up. You messed up. There's some tension in your family right now because you messed up. There's some tension in your marriage right now because you messed up. There's, there's a lack of peace at work because you messed up. The question is, what do we do with, with that reality? What do we do with that information, especially if we want to have spiritual influence? What if we're without peace right now because we just got it wrong in some area, but we really want to have influence for Jesus? I mean, as people who have Jesus in us and who want people to see Jesus in us, really we only have two options when it comes to spiritually influencing people, when it comes to saying, I represent Jesus. And here are those two spiritual options. Number one, we can claim spiritual perfection. I represent Jesus, so I never get it wrong. I don't know one Christian who would say that. I know some who act like that. But I don't know any who would say that. I represent Jesus, which means I never get it wrong. If you cannot claim spiritual perfection, here's your only other option. You have to learn to say you're sorry. Or you cannot represent Jesus when you get it wrong. Here's the spiritual fact that we're going to learn from the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't expect to be perfect, you should expect to apologize from time to time. And some of you are thinking, Christian, aren't you just kind of stating the obvious? There's not really a whole lot of new truth here. You're right, but I promise you there are people sitting in this room today who have not yet said the words, I'm sorry, in 2018. Don't look at them if they're sitting beside you. That would be awkward for like everyone around you. There are some people sitting in the room, and I know this because I do marriage counseling with people, who have been married 20 years and they've never heard their spouse say, I'm sorry. It's not in their vocabulary. They don't say it. And because they won't say it, because they won't admit it, maybe they don't even think they ever get it wrong, there's no peace there. And Jesus says, if you want to learn to be a peacemaker, you have to learn to say that I'm sorry. You have to learn to say I'm sorry. It's interesting, when we look at the culture and the context of Jesus' ministry, you have to learn the culture and the context of Judaism. And when we look at worship in Judaism, we see all of worship in Judaism was built around two phrases that were supposed to deeply impact the hearts of people who were following God. In Leviticus chapter 1 through 7, we see all these sacrifices laid out that make no difference to people if, if we're just kind of reading about Old Testament sacrifices. They don't have a lot of meaning. But when we look at them through conditions of the heart, we learn that the worship in Judaism, how to approach God was based on learning to say two phrases that would lead to two feelings or understandings in your life. The first phrase was this phrase, thank you. The burnt offering was intended to say, thank you for my flocks and my herds. The grain offering was intended to say, thank you for the fruits and vegetables that are growing on my land. The fellowship offering was intended to say, thank you for my friends and my family that you've given me in life Most of the offerings of Israel, half of the offerings of Israel, were intended to teach the people gratitude. They were simply to say, thank you. The other offerings of Israel were to teach the people to say, I'm sorry. The sin offering was to teach people to say, God, you said, don't do this. I did it. It's wrong. I'm sorry. 
The guilt offering was to teach people who did not know that they did something wrong. When they found out it was wrong, the guilt offering was to teach people to say, when I did this, I didn't know that it was wrong. When I found out it was wrong, I realized I'd offended you. I'm sorry. Half the offerings of Israel were to teach the people to have a heart of gratitude. Half the offerings were to teach people to be able to say the phrase, I'm sorry. Apologizing was and is an act of worship. In Israel, and it was and is an act of worship in Christianity. In Psalm 51, King David, who had killed Goliath to kind of launch his legacy and reign in Israel, had committed a terrible sin. He'd committed adultery with one of his friend's wives, and then he saw to it that that friend was killed in war. It was an awful situation. And when he finally got around to saying, I'm sorry, he penned Psalm 51 and he wrote these words My sacrifice. Remember, sacrifice is how we approach God. My sacrifice, my approach to God is a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. David said, God, when I come to you and I'm sorry, you never turn me away. You can't have peace with God until you learn to say I'm sorry. You can't have peace or relationship with Jesus until you learn to say you're sorry for not being perfect. And Jesus would say... As you learn to say sorry in worship, my hope is that it will trigger in your heart other areas of your life where you need to say sorry. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, a little further down in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells us, be peacemakers. Then he tells us how. He says this in verses 23 through 25. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. And then Jesus says these three words, settle matters quickly. If you have your Bible open, you should underline those words. Settle matters quickly. Jesus said the whole system of Judaism is to teach you through worship to have a change of heart. Here's going to be one of your changes of heart. You're going to realize you're not perfect. You're going to realize you get it wrong. And when you get it wrong, you're going to apologize for kind of breaking trust, breaking faith, breaking peace, breaking relationship. So as you come to God to say sorry, eventually your heart is going to be trained to feel sorry for any area where you've broken peace, broken faith, broken trust. And before you go tell God you're sorry, here's how God will know you're really sorry. Here's how God will know you've developed a heart to understand apology. God says, before you worship me, you'll go tell everyone else you're sorry. That will be in itself a part of your worship to tell others who you've got it wrong with you're sorry and then come and tell me you're sorry and I'll believe that your heart gets it. And by the way, settle matters quickly. Don't wait a week, don't wait a month, don't wait a year, don't wait 20 years. Learn to say you're sorry. What I have learned in 20 years of ministry is this. Most people, most people feel sorry for areas that they failed, but peacemakers will say sorry to the ones they've let down. Most people, especially most Christians who have a standard that they believe God's called them to that they fail. When they, when they fail it, they'll feel awful. Peacemakers go the extra step and they actually say they're sorry to the one they've let down. If you want to find peace this Christmas, for some of you, peace this Christmas is as simple as an apology. You just need to text someone today and say, I'm sorry that happened. You need to pick up the phone and call someone and say, I'm really sorry for the way that went. For some of you, peace this Christmas is as close as an apology. Learn to say 
You're sorry. If you want to be a peacemaker, learn to say you're sorry when you get it wrong. Step number two. I think this step probably is truer for our generation than any generation before it. Learn to give a soft answer. I think if Christianity needs anything today, it's this. Learn to give a soft answer. Proverbs 15.1 is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. If I could ask you to memorize a verse, tape it to your computer screen. As a matter of fact, if I could ask the makers, the creators of Facebook to design an algorithm, that when somebody signs up for a Facebook account and under religion they put, I'm a Christian, I wish they would write an algorithm that did not allow anyone to, to put anything on social media except this. I wish that people who said they're Christians, I wish there was an algorithm that forced them to do Proverbs 15.1. Because here's what it says. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, it's interesting the words we could replace there to understand this, right? A soft tweet turns away wrath, but a harsh text stirs up anger. Is that true? What if we said a soft email turns away wrath? But a harsh Facebook post stirs up a lot of anger. Would that be true? I mean, don't you wish that Christians had a built-in system that did not allow them to answer in any way but softly? Wouldn't that change our community? Wouldn't it change our relationships? Wouldn't it change our world? You know what a soft answer is? A soft answer is lowercase ministry in an all-caps world. Right? It's what it is. When everyone's yelling... When everyone's screaming, when everyone's angry, a soft answer is lowercase ministry in an all caps world. Listen to how Jesus put it in Matthew 5. Again, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. And then he just continues to tell us how to accomplish this. Matthew 5, a little further down. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. Jesus says, listen, don't always answer anger for anger, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As a matter of fact, sometimes don't answer at all. Sometimes no answer is the only thing better than soft answer. You could say it this way. Peacemakers don't have to always counterpunch. I mean, don't we feel like we have to do that? Like, well, they started it. I've never started an argument, but boy, I've ended it. And we're like so, so proud of that. Peacemakers don't have to counterpunch. Any of us who coach sports or have been involved in sports always tell our kids the second person is always the one who gets caught. If somebody's cheap shotting you on the field and you respond, the second person is always the one who is seen. And when you counterpunch, you as a Christian show people what Jesus looks like. And a lot of people think that Jesus is a boxer and he's a great counterpuncher because you can't let things lie. In James chapter 3, Jesus' little brother tells us kind of some character traits of peacemakers. I want you to ask yourself if you have these. Look at James 3, verses 17 through 18. James says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then it's peace-loving. It's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, it's impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So we see some character traits of peacemakers here in James chapter 3. The first is that they're considerate. They're considerate. 
they always try to consider what the other person is going through. You know when you begin to study counseling a little bit and you take some master's level counseling classes, you know that almost every psychiatrist um, will tell you uh, that anger, when someone responds in anger, it almost 99% of the times comes from one of two areas in their past, either hurt or fear. Almost every time someone is angry with you or reacts in anger towards you, usually it's because of some hurt they've experienced or some fear they're feeling. And what if instead of counterpunching in anger, we stop to be considerate of what's behind this? Could we get to know people better? Could soft answers kind of de-escalate situations? The character traits of peacemakers are they're considerate. Number two, they're submissive. Peacemakers don't always have to be in charge. Peacemakers don't have to correct every wrong. One of my favorite verses from James is that there's one lawgiver and judge. His name is Jesus. You know you don't have to correct every person who's ever wrong on social media, right? You know that you are not like the correction police and that that doesn't lead to peacemaking in anything. You don't have to always be in control of every situation. Peacemakers sometimes choose to be submissive. Peacemakers are full of mercy, number three. They are okay not being seen as the strongest in every situation. As a matter of fact, sometimes they would rather be seen as loving than be seen as strong because they want to be seen like Jesus. And Jesus did not flex his muscles on the cross. He chose to be seen as loving in that moment, not strong so that the world might see the heart of God. Number four, we see that peacemakers are full of good fruit. Three weeks ago, we studied the spiritual fruit, remember? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did you, like me, realize that one of the spiritual fruit is not being right all the time? Because that's what some people think like Christianity is, right? To be a Christian means I've got to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and be right all the time at the end of every conversation. That's not one of the fruit that helps people see and feel Jesus in you. We learn that peacemakers are impartial. When as Christians are we going to stop choosing sides in conversations and in fights that don't ultimately lead to Jesus? Do you realize that if side A or side B don't ultimately lead to Jesus, that you don't have to stand up on one of them and wave the flag? Do you realize that being impartial might allow people to see Jesus than choosing a side and trying to cram Jesus onto that side with a few Bible verses that kind of apply to what that side says. Peacemakers are sincere. And then it says, number seven, that peacemakers sow peace and they harvest righteousness. It's a very interesting spiritual word. It's a great spiritual picture. Peacemakers sow peace and they harvest Righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is a term that means right standing with God. Righteousness means you're okay with God. That's what righteousness means. So as we sow peace, we harvest righteousness. You say, what does that mean? It means peacemakers learn to give soft answers because they want to be right with God more than they want to be right in the eyes of man. They don't want to win every argument. They would rather be right with God than be right in the eyes of the whole world. So they choose peace. They give a soft answer. Do you know this one point of this one message could change your entire Christmas gathering this year? You know that, right? Because Uncle Lenny is coming. And his goal is to say something 
that kind of tweaks you so that you go off. And like, that's his goal every year at Christmas. Your cousin, your aunt, your sister, your grandma, your stepmom, your stepdad, they are already watching what you're passionate about. And their goal is to tweak you so that you blow up and look stupid and make Christianity look stupid. Like, that's their goal. And if you would this year, when Aunt Sue tries to tweak you about the latest thing going on in the press, if you just look at her and just say, pass the turkey. She literally won't know what to do. Like she will blow her top. She might leave early and that'll give the whole world peace at Christmas. Like if they (laughs) depart early, leave the presents, but head out of town, right? Like, you know, you have someone like that. If as Christians, we could learn to give soft answers or no answers. If we could learn to stop counter-punching so we could win arguments. If we would care more about winning souls than winning arguments, we could bring peace. You know, like I do, when you read Jesus' advice that this is good advice. Learn to de-escalate anger over arguments by giving soft answers or no answers at all. Peacemakers learn to say they're sorry. Peacemakers learn to give a soft answer. Probably the hardest thing peacemakers have to do, though, step number three, is they have to choose to forgive. I do not want to pretend this is an easy point of this message to just take in and go do. Peacemakers choose to forgive. Zig Ziglar, who was a popular speaker 25, 30 years ago, used this anonymous quote in almost every uh, message that he gave. He would say, the first to apologize is the bravest, the first to forgive is the strongest, and the first to forget is the happiest. There's a lot of truth in that. The first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. The first to forget is the happiest. Lloyd Reeb wrote a book called From, Significance, or From Success to Significance, just studying the lives of successful people who said, I want more than success. I want to be significant in life. And they did a study of tens of thousands of people and determined that the happiest and most satisfied people alive have three common character traits. The happiest and most satisfied people alive have three common character traits. One, they live with gratitude every day. They're grateful for what they have. Two, they live with optimism towards the future. They have a bright outlook of tomorrow, not a bad outlook of tomorrow. And three, they forgive every day. He said they live in the fog. Forgiveness, optimism, gratitude. Every day they wake up with a mindset of forgiveness, optimism, and gratitude. Every day I forgive. Every day I believe tomorrow could be better. Every day I'm thankful for what I have. The happiest, most satisfied people alive, those are the things they have in common. They forgive, they're optimistic about tomorrow, and they have gratitude about today. Would that describe you? Or would the phrase happiest, most satisfied people at your job describe you? Happiest and most satisfied people in your family describe you? Maybe. You should try to learn how to live in the fog. What if I told you forgiveness was a spiritual weapon that could be used in spiritual warfare to get to the heart of the matter in your life? Would it sound weird to think that forgiveness could be a weapon? Because this is what Paul presents it as, as he talks about the spiritual armor. In Ephesians chapter 6, he's picturing the Roman soldier and everything the Roman soldier would wear to tell people how to prepare for their lives spiritually And almost every piece of the armor makes a whole lot of sense because it's a piece of armor we recognize and then it's like a spiritual thing that makes sense. A belt of truth. We all know what a belt is. We all know what truth is. 
a breastplate of righteousness. We can all see the covering that the Roman soldier had. Righteousness is something that we understand if we, if we go to church a little bit. A shield of faith. We understand what a shield is. We understand what faith is. Those, those two things make sense to us. A helmet of salvation. We understand what a helmet is. We understand what salvation is. A sword that is the word of God. We understand what a sword is. We understand what the word... Like all those things make sense. But then there's this weird little piece of spiritual armor for spiritual warfare that doesn't make sense. My guess is it probably doesn't make sense to you because you've not seen the picture of it in action. It's in Ephesians 6.15. Paul said, here's one of the weapons for you to use in spiritual warfare. He said, you need to have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You need to have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Okay, so he's talking about shoes, but, but like what kind of shoes? I mean, the, like, you know, we get hel- helmet of salvation, okay. Belt of truth, okay. Breastplate of righteousness, okay. Shield of faith, okay. But shoes of, shoes of gospel of peace, like I, I, don't, I don't understand that. You couldn't understand that until you saw a Roman soldier in battle. Because Roman soldiers would only wear their battle shoes at certain times in battle. They would not walk around in their battle shoes on the road because their battle shoes were like, were like football cleats or soccer cleats. Their battle shoes were leather shoes that had melted into them basically stones on the bottom, rocks, so that if the terrain was muddy or if there was a big hill to climb, they would have traction. They would not wear them on a daily basis because all the Roman roads were stones. And you can imagine with just a thin layer of leather on top of rocks trying to walk over roads. Like you wouldn't wear them on a daily basis. You would only wear the shoes if the footing was slippery or if there was a tough climb ahead of you. And we learned that the primary role of the Roman soldier's shoes were to keep him from sliding backwards when the terrain was muddy or to help him charge up a difficult hill that he could not climb without some type of footing. And Paul says these are needed in your life if you want to have peace. Some of you are in here today and you are at a place spiritually where you are not only stuck, but you're actually sliding backwards and you cannot move forward until you learn to forgive. You're in a place spiritually where the next step for you is a hill that's too steep to climb without your spiritual shoes on. It's too steep to climb without cleats. And you cannot climb up it until you choose to forgive. Some of you feel like you keep trying to move forward spiritually only to keep sliding backwards. And that's true. It's happening because you're not choosing to forgive. You cannot move forward spiritually until you put the gospel of peace shoes on and you try to take steps towards forgiveness. It's not easy. But it's possible. You say, what is the gospel of peace? The gospel of peace is a picture of the forgiveness that Jesus offers us on the cross. The gospel of peace is a picture of someone saying to someone else, you can be forgiven. I will choose to forgive you. But when we study it and try to implement it, it's not an easy process. We learn first that the gospel of peace tells us that forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is not an emotion. You don't forgive when you're not angry anymore. You don't forgive when it doesn't hurt anymore. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a choice. Scripture tells us in Romans 5, 8, this. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He chose 
Before we ever said we were sorry, before some would ever be sorry, he chose to forgive us before we even knew we needed it or cared about forgiveness. So we learn that the gospel of peace tells us forgiveness is a choice, but that verse also tells us that the gospel of peace tells us that forgiveness isn't deserved. It didn't say God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that when we finally realized we were less than perfect, and when we finally realized that we needed forgiveness, but we didn't know where to look, he sent Jesus to die for us so we could find him. It doesn't say that God waited until we deserved forgiveness, and then he gave it to us. The gospel of peace tells us that forgiveness isn't deserved. Some of you have someone that you need to forgive, and here's why you can't, because they're not sorry. And you say, how do I forgive someone who's not sorry? Well, when you choose to, and then you work really, really hard to bring peace to a situation to try to do something that Jesus did for you. But the gospel of peace tells us forgiveness isn't deserved. And by the way, the gospel of peace tells us that forgiveness is difficult. The gospel of peace tells us that forgiveness is difficult to give. At least it was difficult for Jesus. And he had a bigger heart than I do. The gospel of peace tells us Forgiveness is difficult to give. In Luke twenty two forty two, we see the only point of contention on Jesus' march to Calvary as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane with his sweat becoming like drops of blood. He says to God, do we really have to do it this way? He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Do we really have to do it this way to forgive people? Is there any other way but forgiveness? Can I just get over it? Can I just wait for them? Can I just ignore them? Is there any other way but forgiveness? If you're willing, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Whatever you know needs to be done to make me look more like Jesus. Forgiveness is difficult. It was for Jesus. It will be for you. However, it's possible. The gospel of peace tells us that forgiveness is possible because of Jesus. It's a choice that God made for you and I. It was a choice that he made for us before we deserved it or even asked for it. It was a difficult choice to make, but it was all possible because of Jesus. And here's what we learn about followers of Jesus. The gospel of peace tells us that the forgiven will desire to forgive others. The gospel of peace says that those who have been forgiven will be so radically impacted by forgiveness that they will desire to forgive others. It doesn't say it will be easy, but it says it will be possible. Really, it will say that it's necessary. The Apostle Paul, when he thought about forgiving people who had hurt him, said, the only place I can look that motivates me to forgive anyone else is that how God forgave me. He says this in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16 to his young friend Timothy. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom... I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul said, the only way I'm able to forgive others is by looking at how Jesus forgave me and by realizing he chose it before I was sorry by realizing that he chose it before it was deserved, by realizing how difficult it was for him, but realizing that it's possible because of his sacrifice for me. When I think about all that, Paul says, I'm willing to choose to forgive others so that they might see Jesus in me and so that they might meet Jesus in their life. We kind of finish where we started today, Matthew 5, 9. 
Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You know what God's desire for our congregation is this week in Lee Summit? God's desire is this, that as you go live your life this week, somebody who's familiar with God, someone who knows a little bit about his nature, someone who's seen him, heard from him, someone who's had some interactions with him, would watch you and say what that clerk in Texas said to us, hey, you remind me a lot of your spiritual father. You guys have an uncanny resemblance. Like, you're all, like, I know you're not perfect, but every time you get it wrong, like you're so quick to apologize. You remind me a lot of your spiritual father. Like when everyone else is going crazy and there's a royal rumble on social media, like you kind of stand back. You're the only one just not punching in all directions. Man, I know some people have hurt you and hurt you deeply, but I've watched you every day try to forgive them a little more. You remind me a lot of your father. And here's what's the greatest thing about that. While we this week go around trying to make peace, while we live to be peacemakers, while we learn to say I'm sorry, while we learn to give soft answers or no answers, while we learn to forgive, while we make it our goal to give peace to others, one day we look up in the mirror and we see ourselves and we see we've actually brought peace to us by apologizing when we're wrong. We've brought peace to us. By not getting engaged in things that cause conflict. We've brought peace to us. By forgiving people who have hurt us. We've brought peace to us. It's kind of the ironic part of being a peacemaker. When you try to make peace for others, you end up being at peace yourselves. And that's the goal this Christmas. Finding peace through Jesus. Today, finding peace through making peace. Would you bow your heads and pray with me?